Hello, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Dr. Mark White, and today I will be discussing mechanobiology. If that's a new term for you, don't worry, I will define it and concepts developed around the idea as I explain its significance to physical therapy. First, the definition. Mechanobiology is the study of how mechanical forces generated within or imposed upon living tissue affect the physiology and structure of that tissue. A well-known area of research in this domain is fracture healing. This has been extensively studied and published in the peer-reviewed basic sciences research at the chemical signaling and genetic level, the cellular level, and in aggregate at the tissue level. Second, a definition of what that means for us. Mechanobiologically oriented rehabilitation is the application of forces generated within or imposed upon living tissue to affect the physiology and structure of that tissue in a therapeutically beneficial manner. Or, as we like to say, it is rehabilitation from the cellular level up. I have previously written about and spoken about these ideas in courses I have taught, and I published a case report in the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapies JOSPT Cases in 2021 entitled Mechanobiologically Oriented Rehabilitation of a Complex Comminuted Displaced Acetabular Fracture in a 70-Year-Old Medically Complicated Patient. In that paper, the framework for thinking about fundamental issues concerning rehabilitation were described, that's mechanobiology, the basic science literature was surveyed and reviewed, and then the ideas were translated into a form that was clinically applicable. That's the mechanobiologically oriented rehabilitation part. That paper is an example of translational research. Its primary purpose was to describe the why and what to do for a patient who had a traumatic bony injury but who was not, for various complicating medical reasons, a candidate for surgery. It went on to describe a set of six principles derived from the scientific literature, their organization and application to the rehabilitation process, and the successful non-operative management of an otherwise catastrophic injury based on these ideas. It included the measurable, objective data that can be generated clinically to aid decision-making but not only for this specific type of fracture. The ideas and methods are understood to be adaptable across all fracture types. A secondary purpose of the paper was to demonstrate what is possible if underlying pathophysiology is understood well enough that its process could be harnessed and motivated toward a directed outcome, one that was deliberately chosen instead of one allowed to randomly occur without a reasonable, appropriately goal-directed, intervention. In the case report, at the simplest level, the primary goal of treatment was to optimize healing and make the bone healthier so that the patient could reliably return to function without the bone collapsing. Recovery of the bone was repeatedly tested and measured along the way with clinically accessible tools available to anyone. At another level, a related goal was to avoid a total hip arthroplasty something the trauma and orthopedic surgeons involved early on believed to be the most likely outcome within the first year post-injury. That didn't happen. The patient's broken bones healed, he gained function, and he was able to resume his usual activities within a few months, two and a half months, in fact, to resume full weight-bearing ambulation without an assistive device. If we had instead taken a functionally driven approach, 
one that would have to wait for the bone to recover on its own without any specific intervention for the healing tissues involved, we would have had to deal with the aftermath of malalignment, accelerated arthritic change in the joint, and gradual loss of the initially reacquired function. This is what the literature and the experience of the surgeons expected. However, introducing a different treatment paradigm, one that directs attention to what is actually wrong, i.e. the broken bone, allows us to meaningfully reframe our target of interest and thus manage it in a way that at least has the potential to reduce overall costs, morbidity, and mortality. And, at most, it returns the patient to his prior level of function without negative residuals. The point is, the same approach can be described for different tissue types, not just bone, in order to optimize recovery. If we understand the underlying pathophysiology well enough, we can design better treatment programs with better specificity and produce better outcomes. What makes us challenging is that pathophysiological processes are not the only ones at work. Mixed in with this is patient psychology, their psychosocial situation, our emerging understanding of pain science, the culture of physical therapy, and more. These related concepts, mechanobiology and mechanobiologically oriented rehabilitation, fill a gap that exists in the world of rehabilitation. The gap occurs between recognizing the presence of an acute injury or the state of a chronic problem and return to unrestricted activities. Generally, the return to activities happens after enough recovery, also known as healing, has occurred. But little thought seems to be given to how we might fundamentally guide recovery beyond simply not causing further injury while we wait for healing to occur, independent of whatever else we might actually do, and then tentatively testing whether or not the patient is able to do something resembling non-injurious movement. This gap is in part a conceptual one devoid of clear pathways to solve many known problems. It is therefore filled with potentially anything and everything we offer in physical therapy. In the acute phase, for example, we have a well-known acronym and variations of it, PRICED, P-R-I-C-E-D, which stands for protection, rest, ice, compression, elevation, and drugs. Accompanying this may be application of hot packs or cold packs, interferential currents, manual therapy, active exercise, passive stretching, foam rolling, dry needling, etc. After enough natural recovery has taken place while a fairly non-specific priced strategy is followed, we transition patients to something resembling a resumption of activities phase where various iterations of graded exposure, graded activities, and progressive resistance training take place. Choices here are often highly idiosyncratic and may have little or nothing to do directly with addressing a fundamental underlying major component of the problem that may need to be dealt with, such as a torn tendon, denuded hyaline cartilage, a broken bone, etc. Selection of techniques, timing of their application, and dosing are big problems which exist within the gap. For chronic problems, the situation is certainly no better, and in many ways, it is worse. Into this gap, we throw things, hoping to fill it up and create a bridge to the other side where normal 
or at least improved, function exists. Despite much effort and the production of numerous regional and condition-specific clinical practice guidelines and some important progress, we still generally see the majority of our treatments producing, overall, small treatment effects. Still, this is beneficial, but just not as much as we would like. Our speculation is that either something we are not yet examining for or properly accounting for is interfering with treatments, thus rendering them low-powered, or we are inappropriately utilizing existing tools, or we simply need better tools. We should want to do better. While looking for a better way, we may suffer the futility of sifting one's professional knowledge for a solution that is not there. New knowledge is required. Mechanobiology and mechanobiologically oriented rehabilitation provide a means for addressing at least part of the gap. It frames a portion of the neuromusculoskeletal rehabilitation problem in terms of requirements for modifying pathological tissues to improve their health. The idea includes, in part, that you cannot simply use resistance training methodologies to dose load exposure for treatment of pathological tissues. A strength-building approach to dose activity for a grade 3 chondral surface injury, for example, will, in this model and in actuality, invariably an overdose on load and underdose on volume in patients who are symptomatic. For an unstable fracture, conventional loading is even worse and highly problematic. It is easily overdosed, and cyclical loading, or reps, in resistance training parlance, will inevitably be underdosed as well, especially if blind attempts are made to do this too early in the process of recovery. Furthermore, introducing too much load, either through absolute magnitude of load or through cumulative volume of load, can be destructive to recovery. It is therefore mechanotoxic. Identifying the entry point for appropriate application of well-modulated loading is problematic without a specific set of tools to aid identification of this critical parameter. Part of the problem regarding dosing of exercise activity is that most of the models currently in use are still based on progressive resistance training paradigms developed for healthy populations. Healthy populations, in general, represent a uniquely stable training environment in terms of physiological response than what is encountered in injured and deconditioned patients. But simply, the physiological requirements to gain health in a damaged tissue are different than the requirements to maintain or improve healthy tissue. Mechanobiology attempts to understand these differences and organize an approach that is prescriptively specific for dosing treatment for a given type of problem. This is in the category of new knowledge of which I speak. Now, a summary. Here are some of the main takeaways from today's talk in a Q&A format. Question 1. Why should we be interested in and study mechanobiology? The answer is, it provides a framework for investigating and understanding what causes damaged tissues to improve their health. In the world of orthopedic physical therapy, we are generally working, at least in the beginning, at the tissue level, so we need to know how to do this. Question. Two, so what? Or to put it differently, what do you do with that exactly?
The answer is, this gives rise to mechanobiologically oriented rehabilitation. The in-clinic application of principles derived from mechanobiological understanding designed to improve the odds of successful outcomes with appropriate treatment that is specific to the nature of the underlying pathology. Third question, what problem does mechanobiologically oriented rehabilitation solve? And the answer is, it solves the problem of prescriptive dosing of therapeutic exercise for injured tissue. Next question, was this a problem that needed solving? And the answer is, yes. Previously, no dosing parameters existed for treating injured tissues with therapeutic exercise. It was pretty much hands-off until we got the patient comfortable and exercise-ready with either plain old-fashioned rest and protection or modalities such as hot packs and cold packs, interferential current, manual therapy, and so on, which in many cases may have just been killing time until enough of the natural course of recovery occurred that we could step in and say, now the patient is exercise-ready, but without necessarily understanding why. More on this at another time. In addition, we already know what to do for exercising healthy tissue in terms of dosing to maintain and increase health, but this does not work for injured tissues. At least it does not work well. A new model is required for injured or low health status patients because virtually all treatment models are currently derived from models developed in healthy populations. Fifth question, what does this mean going forward? And the answer is, well, it means several things. First, it opens doors to new and different research pathways from which we can gain new insight into what does and what does not optimize treatment effects. Second, this can reduce uncertainty about treatment dose and treatment selection. Third, it also means we ought to be able to help more patients successfully achieve better outcomes faster, safer, and more reliably than ever before. That potential is something to think about. I'm Dr. Mark White. That concludes our talk for now. Thanks for listening. And as always, may you and your patients be well. That's all for today.